Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of Unlimited Opinions. I'm Adam Bishop. I'm Mark Bishop. And today we are reading about logic and language in medieval philosophy. This is a very interesting chapter to me. I, I was going to ask you if you enjoyed it more than I did. Yes, I probably <laughs> did. I don't know if this is a, this is exactly your type of chapter. Not really, but yeah. I mean, it was interesting. It was It's well... Uh, uh, maybe I'm just getting used to his writing, but it was it, it read easier to me, um, so I I enjoyed it. But I, I could tell when I was reading it that you'd really yes uh, like the the topics of discussion because it has a lot to do with grammar and, and language and it gets logic. really into the details of yeah. language and stuff. So That's it's right, fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, you spent a lot of time yeah. studying. They really articulate a lot of my own thoughts on language. Really, name one of them. Like uh, how language is basically you know the foundation for all logic and all you know forms of communication. Well, that's true well, that's, because that's what that's, it is. That's just I guess fact, it, but the... I guess you could communicate through music, like uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I've never seen the movie. Really? No. Oh. Do 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 do. Is that what happens? Well, yeah, pretty much. They uh, they have aliens that make contact with humans, and they communicate through A E I O U on a big uh, soundboard. Music is the universal interstellar language. Fascinating. It's a, it's a neat movie. I've never it's, seen it. It's more of a kind of a psychological thriller where the guy thinks he, he has, makes contact with, like, aliens make contact with him and then he has like these visions of having to go to a particular location. Yes. It's, and he's kind of driven mad. But right. That's anyway. enough to talk about. I digress. Kind. Starting so, off with Augustine on language. He had a lot to say about language. He did. Um, and so... And what language did he write? Do you think Latin? Latin. Yeah. Probably. The Middle Ages type Latin. Yes. Uh, and so he kind of wanted to figure out, like, how we learn uh, language. And so he says, then when they, my elders, named some object and accordingly moved towards something, I saw this and I grasped that the thing was called by the sound they uttered when they meant to point it out. Their intention was shown by their bodily movements, as it were the natural language of all peoples. The expression of the face, the play of the eyes, the movement of other parts of the body... And the tone of voice which expresses our state of mind in seeking, having, rejecting, or avoiding something. Thus I heard words repeatedly used in their proper places in various sentences. I gradually learnt to understand what objects they signified. And after I had trained my mouth to form these signs, I used them to express my own desires. And so this is this belief uh, that we actually learn language basically through other people pointing at things and naming things or demonstrating those actions. And we realize now that that's not really how it works. Um, because we even talk about it a little bit later in this chapter, but um, there's certain things, you know, that we can't just describe or point to um, and therefore learn the word for it. Yes. And I, I was when I was reading that, I was thinking, does he really remember that? Because he would have been like a year old. Yeah, no, he so, would not remember that. But he wrote it as if he did. Yes. Which I found a little dishonest. Yes. But I think he was probably just articulating how it happened when he was a yes. youngster. Yes. As opposed to him really remembering it. But yeah, I, I was like, I was reading that, I'm thinking, well, that works with regard to, like, food and water, you know, I yeah. want, I'm thirsty, or, you know. Yeah, it's like I the very first things we learn how right. to say, usually, but we can't really you go past that. Yeah, very quickly. Right. So basically, he says that words are connected with the primitive, uh, the natural expression of a sensation, and they are used in their place. So it's really kind of this idea of uh, words as signs, where they just represent a certain specific thing in the world, uh, and that's what we use words for, and it's really nothing more than that. Um, it's really just, you know, they're all the signs for certain things that we can see or point to or demonstrate. Yeah, so what do you think about, it, about it, his theories? I mean, it seemed pretty basic to me. Like, uh, it's very basic. Yeah. I mean, it works in some cases, but we'll talk about it later, um, that it doesn't really work. Um, I mean, do you think it was even an improvement from anything any other philosopher had said before? That didn't seem like it was that that groundbreaking. But... Probably not. Yeah, well, right. Moving right along. Yes, moving on to the logic of Bothius. Yep. Uh, so he believed that uh, the whole of uh, the whole art of logic is concerned with speech. So basically, he says, basically, if you're trying to prove anything, you're really trying to prove a connection between words uh, is what you're really trying to do, um, because you really have to boil it down to what you're trying to say um, within the very framework of your speech itself. Um, and so you really have to look at the the very very minor details when you're actually trying to prove something. Yeah, I mean, it and it seems kind of common sense, but it you know somebody's got to articulate that, mm -hmm. and I guess he did. And so a lot of what he did was he translated this uh, Porphyry's Isagogue. And so Porphyry was a disciple and biographer of Plotinus. Um, and he uh, named these five kinds of relation between subject and predicate. Uh, so there's species. So if you're talking about um, a dog, you would say, you know, the species is the Labrador. Uh, there's the genus, which is, you know, um, 
let's use our dog, Archie. We'd say Archie is a dog in that sentence. Dog is the genus. There's the differentia. Um, so he is the example, you know, golden-haired and a retriever. Uh, golden-haired and a retriever. So that's the type of quality that's like uh, unique to that genus and that species. There's the property, and that is the, um, the it attributes a peculiar um, sort of instincts to a certain genus or species. Uh, but it's really not, you know, uh, definitive of that species. And he points to like human beings' uh, ability to to see a joke, to, to to understand humor. And there are some human beings that don't understand that, but uh, it is unique to human beings that they understand a joke. You know, and that, that is so true. I think that's the one thing that I really, I, I really realized from reading this chapter is that I don't know that any other living thing gets the joke. Probably not. Although maybe monkeys or anything, but they don't laugh. No. I guess. I'll have to look into that. Because that, <laughs> maybe that is what separates us from all other animals. Our ability to laugh? Our ability to get the joke. To get the joke. Because you can make a laughter sound, and yes. you can be, it's different than happiness. Like just general happiness. You know, I think dogs can be happy, but I don't think they get the joke. Yes. I think you play jokes on them, like, oh, where'd the bone go? <laughs> but the, the joke's on them because they don't get it, and they're yes. looking for the bone. I don't think they say, oh, ha, ha, you know, and they're a little dog. Anyway. Probably not. I guess you want to move along. You, you seem to. Oh, be... there's just there's just one more category that I want. To oh, mention. I'm sorry, yes. I, I interrupted your train of thought. Yes, and then there was the accident yes. um, kind of relation. And that's just a peculiar quality quality unique to an individual, but isn't uh, necessarily uh, indicative of the whole genus or species. So I have brown hair, while you have black hair, and so mm. that's just our accident quality. I'm mostly gray now. I think used to have jet black hair in my youth. That's that was dashing. <laughs> All right. Never really actually. Anyway, I was I was most interested in the joke. Yes, I'm so sorry. No, but I mean, have you have you given that? Given yeah, I've that given any that thought? some thought. Really, but... before this, or or because of the chapter? I think before this. I don't a know that bit. I've ever thought about that. That's, that's yeah. interesting. So you you already picked up on that. Then maybe the, I think it's, yeah, humor? it's been mentioned. Like um, you know, if we have more than you know five sentence senses that are you know kind of unique to humans, and sometimes you know sense of humor is thrown in there. You know, <laughs> sense of thought and like comprehension is thrown in there. Um, as things that differentiate us from other living organisms, because other living organisms have those other five sentence, senses. Um, so if you're really looking for, you know, a sixth, seventh sense, you can point to humor, you can point to, you know, comprehension, understanding, that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess a more complex thought. Yes. And I mean, we seem to have a better understanding of the passage of time, but yes. I don't know that other higher functioning animals don't get that in some sort of sense, like elephants or, or dolphins or even dogs to a certain extent. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I wonder if dolphins laugh. No, I feel like I've read somewhere that they do like maybe some some scientist anthropomorph uh, giving them human qualities they don't really have. Yes, anthropomorphizing. Yes, thank you. Yes, I don't know. All right, well, uh, I'll have to consider that. For the, maybe we'll we'll address that later in the future. But yes, I thought that was an interesting point that I didn't really thought of. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I feel superior to all those other. Congratulations! Animals. You did it before. No, it's no, pretty much. You looked at a dog and thought that you were beneath them. I don't know. Have you met a? I mean, have you met a bad dog? I mean, there's been mean dogs or abused dogs, but you know, dogs are are good creatures. They have good souls. Yeah. And uh, you know what? There's a lot of dogs that are much better than a lot of people. That's that's a fact. And maybe I'm one of them. Not the dog, but the people. But the people. Yes, yes. I, I picked up on that. Okay. Thank you. Yes. I don't know. I didn't know if you got that. <laughs> and so within uh, Porphyry's, um, you know, uh, isagogue, there's this idea of Porphyry's tree, uh, which is this bra- branching hierarchy of predicates. So it's basically we can point to, you know, certain things that link, um, you know, predicates together. We kind of make almost a biological tree in a way of things that connect, you know, qualities that connect organisms. Um, and then with that, uh, Porphyry also recognized this problem of universals. Um, and that if we have, you know, this universal quality, uh, is that a thing that actually exists? Can we find a universal? Um, and for example, he uses, um, I think this is where he uses, uh, you know, uh, do such things, you know, exist outside the mind? Or are they merely mental? If they are outside the mind, are they corporeal or incorporeal? If they're incorporeal, do they exist in things perceptible by the senses? Or are they separate from them? So it's like the idea of the, you know, the universal human, you know, what is a human? Can we point to the universal human or is that something that's just a mental thing that we've right. thought of in our head? Just a theoretical concept as yes. opposed to something that is a thing 
That's, evidently, that's been a big discussion mm-hmm. by these philosophers. This is repeated, yes, yeah, several, several times. times. Yeah, it's like, well, that, that you know, it, it has to exist. This universal mm-hmm. exists in some plane. You know, like Plato would say, we we uh, are remembering. Mm-hmm. You know, those that knowledge, and you know, because there's these universal truths, I guess, but that are real. Yes, right. uh, and Bothius answered this question that uh, universals do exist outside the mind, but they're incorporeal, so we can't actually point to uh this universal idea but it is something that you know we haven't just thought of it is something that's kind of out there as the sum total maybe of all the qualities of this certain genus this certain species but it's not something that we can specifically point to but it does exist outside of our own understanding what are your thoughts on that i kind of disagree i think i agree with some later philosophers here they say that it is purely in the mind um, this idea of the universal we can get into that a little bit later yeah that's right we'll wait i was just wondering what your thoughts were on it while we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I disagree with Bothius here. Yeah. That's a pretty cool name, though. Bothius? Yeah, yes. if I had another son, I'd name him Bothius. Really? Isn't that a pretty cool That's name? That's a good name. Yeah. That's a good name. Then Abelard. 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 As logician. Unless you had something else you wanted to say about Bothius. I had nothing to say about nothing that. Nothing to say about Yeah, I mean, this this chapter... Uh, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to offer. <laughs> that's, that's that's thank you well because the the uh, i like uh, logic and the practical study of logic logically analyzing arguments like but going through the history of how the philosophy of logic developed is uh, uh not as a, a big interest of, of mine yes sorry uh, and so Abelard, so he's kind of this culmination of the old logic. So moving a, a kind of ahead in time here, we see this new logic coming about uh, in the major, you know, universities um, and schools. But he's kind of this culmination of this old logic that we can kind of trace, you know, back to the ancient Greeks as just, you know, this gen of general framework. Um, and he believed that langu- la, just like um, Bothius, he believed that logic is a linguistic discipline. So it's really, you know, we have to go into language to really understand logic. Um, he also had this idea that time applies to both verbs and nouns. So he disagreed with Aristotle here because Aristotle, right. you know, looked at the difference between verbs and nouns. And he said that, well, verbs are, you know, they, they exist in time, whereas nouns do not. Um, and he points to this example, um, you know, if you consider this proposition that Socrates was a boy, um, that is true when Socrates was old. If time belonged only to the tense verb, the sentence would mean the same as a boy was Socrates. But of course, that sentence is false. Uh, so, you know, time does apply to both nouns and verbs, and you can kind of bend the truth or make things true or untrue depending on uh, how you tense certain words. Yeah, that's, a, that's an important point. Yes. And it, 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 was, it was good of him to, to articulate that. Yes. Yeah, because it, it, it's, it's kind of funny how he, it seems to me that, like, they're overthinking grammar and syntax in the language, but, mm-hmm. but I guess somebody had to somebody start had to it. Out. I don't know. I, I like reading about these things. So I'm yeah. figuring a lot of this episode is just going to be me kind of rambling about these right. things. Well, did you did you notice uh, his example in Latin on the top of page three fifty one? Socrates est homo. Yes. <laughs> that's that's really funny to you. Uh, it just means Socrates, Socrates is, is human. A man. What, what, yeah. what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a human. Yeah. All right. That's right. Yes. Uh, is human. Isn't that funny? Yes, that's, that's <laughs> <Okay>. hilarious. Um, <laughs> and so Avalard also pointed out uh, that you could form complete sentences without nouns, but you can't form a complete sentence without a verb. So, for example, you can say come here or run, um, and those, of course, don't have nouns, but those are complete sentences as we recognize them. So he kind of points to, you know, verbs kind of being the most important thing um, when you're making a statement. Yes, and he also says that the verb to be links, you know, subjects and predicates, of course, like like you said, Socrates est homo, Socrates is human, uh, but it also indicates existence because you can just say Socrates est, uh, Socrates exists, Socrates is. Um, and so you can really, you know, depending on how you frame certain words, you can kind of use your own words against you to mean many different things. Yes. Yes. No, I think it was good. Mm-hmm. He also says that resemblance is not a substantial thing and only individual things exist. So this is kind of, again, that uh, problem of universals. Oh, yeah, right, right. Uh, he says that we, we, when we maintain that the likeness between things is not a thing, we must avoid making it seem as if we were treating them as having nothing in common, since what, in fact, we say is that the one and the other resemble each other in their being human, that is, in that they are both human beings. We mean nothing more than that they are human beings and do not differ at all in this regard. Uh, so this is kind of him saying that... Um, you know, there is not uh, the human um, out there. Right. Uh, but just when we're saying that somebody is a human, we're not saying that they are the total sum of all humans. They just share the qualities 
of a human, and we cannot actually point to, uh, in the problem of universals, a universal human. We right. can only point to things that all uh, humans share, and in that we kind of find that universal. That's right. Yes. Yeah, more of a theoretical concept of mm -hmm. similar attributes as opposed to an actual universal human. Yes. Not unlike the universal soldier, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I don't get the reference. I, mean, I think I'm too another, old for that Another one. 80s reference. Yes, I'm, I'm too young for that one. You're too old for, for me to understand that one. Oh, uh, <laughs> and so he also, Abelard also says that intellect turns a sound into a word. And so he kind of uh, yes. points to words. Uh, he kind of defines them as that they mean things and also express thoughts. So we can use a word to, you know, point to a single thing, but it is also a sort of mental thing that we have in our head. Um, just, uh, you know, pure thoughts that we can kind of then put into words um, that don't necessarily, you know, you don't have to point to something to make uh, those words uh, make sense, uh, if that makes sense. Yes. Do you have any thoughts that are not words? I mean, I can pick up a mental image of something yeah. or I can hear a song in my head. Yeah. A tune. A tune. A tune. A song would have words, I guess. Is that a thought? Is a tune a thought? I don't know. It's in so my head, and I can hear it. So I guess it is. Yeah, interesting. I, th I think I think you can have like impressions without like verbalizing it in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Images. I can I can you know conjure up a mental image of some sort of being that doesn't exist and doesn't have a name for it, and so that's something that exists without there being a word. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Is that is that the point you wanted to make? <laughs> I wasn't trying to make a point. I was just trying to uh, discuss. Yeah. Yes. Because he, you know, he's talking about language being used to articulate thoughts, mm -hmm. but I think you can have thoughts without have, being able to. But you'd have to put it into words to, to communicate with anybody else. Yes, right. And then he also says that logic is the art of judging and discriminating between valid and invalid arguments or inferences. That is it. That is that is logic is. That's right. And before we move on any further, I, I wonder if anyone out there. I interrupted you. Yes. Again. <laughs> I, I wish this was valued more in today's society. You know, they almost, you know, not almost, it should be required curriculum at the high school level to teach a basic logic class in every high school before anybody can graduate. If you fail, then you're unemployable. Just go on disability. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little, a little intense there. A little bit of well, I mean, just some basic logic it's that like, if this, then that, than this, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, like it's, if, you know, if if A is B mm -hmm. and, and B is C, then A is C. Yeah, because right? you kind of mentioned like a similar kind of point. Uh, I think in the last episode in this kind of like society of you know self love, um, kind of in this day that you can have your own set oh, of logic, gosh. but you know logic has to be this thing that's universal. You cannot come to your own conclusions from you know a completely unrelated thing. You have to actually you know work through logic and make the difference between what is true and what is not true yeah and and i'm a free speech absolutist i think you should be able to say anything you want to say yes but i would make an exception for anyone who would say uh, when they start telling something well my truth is i think that should be illegal yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and punished yes. with violence so i think that's antithetical to everything that we've read in this book so far as these people are trying to find truth they've you it's know, a universal truth. universal that's yes. right because otherwise it's not true. It's not true. It has it's to be verifiable and consistent over time and space yes. and among others. Yeah. Anyway, you, I interrupted yes. you. Yes, like I was saying, before we go any further, I just want to say we do have a Twitter um, at oh, Unlimited yes. Opinions. Yeah, I forgot to plug it last episode. Capital U, lowercase L-M-T-D, capital O, lowercase P-I-N-I-O-N-S. So, so it's we... Unlimited Opinions. Yes, Unlimited Opinions. <laughs> yes, we had to abbreviate Unlimited. Yeah, Just I think that's fit. appropriate. Yes. And I also want to mention that we are uh, moving to every Monday now instead of every Sunday. We've recorded the past two episodes uh, now and put them out on Mondays. Yes. Um, so in case, you know, our very many listeners haven't picked up on that yet, but that is a permanent change we're making. And they get notifications. Who? Anybody who subscribes oh, yes. to receiving our podcast will get notifications yes. on their device. And you'll also get notifications if you follow our Twitter, because I tweet out every time a, oh, uh, nice an episode is live. Yes. Yes. I think we should start advertising. Well, on Twitter, to advertise a tweet, it is $99 a month. Oh, really? You have to do a monthly plan? Yeah, I think so. Huh. Yeah, Facebook, I haven't done it in a while, but Facebook had different uh, plan when I, when I ran my campaign. Yes, yes. So they had different plans based upon how much reach you wanted to make. And then you could decide what your budget was. Mm -hmm. And then they just tell you how much it reached, which I think was just complete ripoff. Yes. 
But probably. But I just participated. I just gave them money. And I just hope somebody saw it because there's no way to verify it. Yeah, I guess. How do so. I know if they saw it? Well, on Twitter, it actually tells you how many people like see a certain tweet. Well, I know that yeah. Facebook does the same thing. But how am I going to know that? It's not like I make sales on it. Oh, I guess that's you know true. what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, so so it's like, like how many people actually you know did something about that. Right. I mean, and in the, in the, even, if it's, even if they click on it, how do I verify that they clicked on it on Facebook? Because it's like if I'm selling something, if I'm selling widgets, and they, I, I have an advertising budget, and so many more people buy widgets than I know it was a success. But we we're just promoting something like this. I guess, I guess we would know if people start listening to it. Yes, I guess so. But we'll never know how many they Twitters actually forward it to. Oh, yeah, I guess you know how many people yeah okay i see what you mean right but they'll say oh we just 100 million people saw it what really name them give me a list it's anyway, a little scary all right 13th century logic of terms now we're into some fun stuff <laughs> yeah yeah my, my, i'm making fun of my linguistic loving son yeah all right go ahead uh, so we start off with these sophisms, and these are puzzling sentences that needed a careful uh, analysis if they were not to lead to absurd conclusions. And so that's really what we're dealing with this, these 13th century uh, philosophers. They kind of come up with these phrases, um, these set of words, basically, and they have to you know, kind of analyze what they actually mean. Uh, and for example, a lot of these were uh, paradoxes. Um, so one of the, the most studied sophisms were versions of the liar paradox, which is, I am now lying. Uh, so which is false if it's true, and it's true if it's false. So it's, you know... What do you do with that? Ignore it. Ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you well, know. It's, it's kind of a nonsense. It's yeah. a nonsense mm-hmm. uh, statement, and so I would not even analyze it. It's nonsense. Okay. It's contradictory. That's like how you solve like a sphinx riddle. What's that? Like, like you would use a statement like that. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a story. I forget if it's like an actual myth or if it's something that I read. You know, just like in a, a young adult novel at some point. But it's you know this this giant or ogre you know guarding a bridge. Um, and if he says, if you tell the truth, I'll stab you. Uh, and if you lie, I'll throw you off the cliff. Um, and so he says, uh, you know, this hero that's facing this ogre, this troll or whatever, he says, you will throw me off a cliff. And so if he's telling the truth, he'd stab him, making it a lie. But then if he lies, he'd throw him off the cliff, making it oh, the truth. Yeah. And so nothing ends up happening and the ogre just lets him pass. Right. Yeah. Just befuddled the ogre. Yeah. So that's where philosophy is useful. If you ever come across a riddling ogre growing the bridge. <laughs> True. Good point. Yes. Words to live by. And so at this point in the 13th century, there's this rediscovery of Aristotle. So this is... You're still laughing about that. I think I needed to have a t-shirt that says, uh, beware of riddling ogre. <laughs> <laughs> Whose picture will be on it? Mine? I don't know. Yeah. So, so in the 13th century, there's this rediscovery of Aristotle through all these various translations being made, and that kind of leads to the neglect of Abelard. Uh, and Kenny kind of says here that that's really kind of a disappointment because Abelard actually you know, take, took some you know good steps forward right. away from Aristotle and the ancient Greeks, but that was kind of pushed to the side in favor of going back to the ancient Greeks. Uh, and so, with these 13th century uh, logic, they say that terms include not only words, but the mental counterparts of the words. Um, and I think that's very true. It's kind of like what we were saying earlier, that um, you know a term doesn't necessarily point to one uh, thing that you can see out in the world, but it also, you know, uh, means what it means in our head basically that's where we kind of find that universal if that makes sense it does it does yeah, it's very very good and then we move on to suppositions um, and those are basically suppositions are basically these different ways in which you know predicates are related to um, uh, subjects and so there's a simple uh, supposition you know man is mortal um, and so in this case we're looking at man here um, and man applies to literally every man um, uh, imaginable there's you know there's no article uh, in front of it we're not pointing to one specific man but man basically as the universal then we move on to personal suppositions and those are ones you know with articles in front of them so we say a man is knocking at the door so we're talking about one specific man who is you know interacting with something you know uh near to us but within the i'm sorry go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say this what's the point of discussing all this it's interesting. Oh, okay. No, I mean, like, I don't really get, I really don't know why any of this is important outside of linguistics and grammar and syntax. Because in Latin, there's no articles. 
you cannot say a man or the man. So when they're, you know, trying to actually, you know, use logic, they have to actually define um, which man they are talking about. Are they talking about man as a whole? Oh. Are they talking about a specific man? And so when they're going into logic, well, they can say, well, I'm using the simple supposition man. Uh, I'm not using right, you know, right. this man or that man. That's why it's useful. That makes to sense. This, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, any references. Is this where he references that the uh, beauty of the English language where you're, if you're talking about a term, you put it in quotes. Yes, right. mm-hmm. And, and, I think we just have a huge advantage just being able to speak English. Yes. You know, and, and of course, I don't know any other languages. I learned uh, Spanish in high school. Yeah. And then uh, didn't learn Latin in college. Yes. But I passed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's okay. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, yes. for sharing that with the audience. Yes. And with you. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so within these personal suppositions, there's but just... But wait a second. Let me ask this uh-huh. then. Why do we care now? Because it really isn't an issue just with Latin. Because it's interesting. Oh, okay. All right. So, so more of a, more of a, a curiosity. Yes, it's fascinating to me. Okay, very good. And so within these personal suppositions, there's discrete suppositions. So that's like the dog has just been six. That is a dog that we know. Um, you know, we're clearly referencing a dog that has come into contact with us. There's determinate. So a dog is scratching at the door. We don't know which dog it is, but it is a dog. And we know that for a fact. And there's distributive. Uh, a dog has four legs. So that's, again, similar to the simple supposition and that, you know, we're saying a, a dog in general. Yes. Yes. And then we are, there's also material suppositions, which is the sound of a word uh, is its matter. So that's like how you were saying how we put something in quotes. So we'd say, you know, the right. word dog, you know, in quotation means, you know, an animal with four legs. So we'd say also like a dog is a noun. We're not saying, you know, the animal is a noun. We're saying um, the word dog is right. a noun. Yes. Right, right. Which just, you know, just helps clear up a lot of complications, I guess, a lot of these people faced. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a real struggle, I guess, back in the Middle Ages. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's this concept of appellation, which is truth in regard to time. And this was a really, really big question for a lot of these 13th century dudes. Uh, for example, they used this example of uh, dinosaurs have long tails. Is that true or false? I'm asking you. Well, not all of them. Let's, let's just say... <laughs> so it's false. Let's just say operating Some of them the, had shorter tails yeah. relative to the, their body size. Operating so under the... false. Operating all of, under the assumption that all dinosaurs had long tails. If we say dinosaurs have long tails, is that true or false? Well, not anymore. They're all dead. Yeah, so that's kind of the point that they were making. Like, can you say, you know, something that has been extinct, can we say that it has, uh, still has a quality, or do we always have to use the past tense? I think it's past tense. Really? Why? Why that? Why? why because I just I just answered it. I mean, they no that... longer have tails. They're dead. Yeah, but I think you can make a case either way because you know dinosaur skeletons still exist, and we can still tell that they still have those long tails. They're just you know they don't have a dead. tail. They just have a skeleton. That's not the tail. But I guess if well, we, you can say if does we... a dinosaur have a skeleton? Yeah. But I guess if we're using it, I don't like think a... it has anything anymore. It's dead. <laughs> <laughs> it no longer possesses. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But I mean, if we're going like in a more general sense, like um, I guess I think you can make a case for it. Still, I don't have. Well, I think it's it's kind of non. Uh, it's kind of not important at all. But no, I was gonna, no, I was going to say it. It it kind of doesn't really make a difference when we articulate it now because, because it's understood. You're talking about general terms when they did exist. But it's, it's, so it's neither true or false because the tense you use, yeah. you know, it, it's either true or false at the time they existed. Yes. And I think that's the point. And I think they, 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 you know, but a lot of people back then evidently were getting real tied up on it, wh- whether it's a false statement. If it, if it isn't happening right now, like, uh, you know, Mark sat in a chair. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm not sitting in a chair, it's, it's false, mm-hmm. but it's it's true when I do. It sit is true in a chair. that you did sit in a chair right. at some point. So it's that right. distinction. Propositions and syllogisms. That's fun. Yeah. And so. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're kind of getting into this concept of like just as nouns express concepts in the mind, sentences express beliefs in the mind. Yes. Uh, so you know, moving away from just you know sort of naming terms and how you know terms interact, we're actually kind of moving on to you know. Full-fledged sentences. That's a that's a victory. <laughs> it was so fascinating. This propositions and syllogisms. I thought so, it was interesting. But... I know you would. Yes. 
that's 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 great. Mm-hmm. So tell us about it. Tell so, the tell the viewer, the listener. Yes, the viewer. Hello, viewer. Okay. Uh, what the middle age philosophers thought about propositions and solutions. So a proposition is a combination of words that expresses something true or false. That's basically it. All right. And propositions, uh, and proposition either does or doesn't correspond with reality. How do you mean? It's either true or false. Oh, I see. So that's, that's just that's just restating what you just yes, said. A minute different ago. wording of yeah, but I mean, I guess that's kind of how they proved if it's true or false, because um, you can make the argument, you know, that um, well, a cyclops, you know, is a one-eyed monster. Is that true? Yes. But they don't exist. They're not anything. It's kind of the same argument you made for dinosaurs having but long it's tails. A, it's a definition. Okay, well, what if I said as a, a dinosaur is a creature with a very long tail? Which one? <laughs> the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Had is... a short tail relative to the rest of its body. Really? Yeah, I think so. Like some of the early models were all wrong. Huh. It actually, it didn't drag on the ground, I think. I'm not an oh. expert on, on dinosaurs. Yeah, you're not a paleontologist. No, but, <clears throat> but I think like the Brontosaurus, I think that had a long tail. I forget me. the point that I was making. I, I, I know, completely you're gonna, got I, lost. They're going to ask me another question <laughs> about dinosaur facts. <laughs> Don't you remember Dinosaur Train? The PBS yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, the PBS show with all the dinosaurs. I hate the train. it. Why? I hate it. I always did. They went through the, the time tunnel to different uh, yes. periods of a uh... right. And the dinosaur dork guy that would you know give us a little lecture in between the stupid. The kids are kind of brats. You know, like there's a little pterodactyl You got kid. very angry at a lot of kids' shows. Well, there are that, very it, few kids' shows uh, that you actually like. Oh, that's not true. Caillou, I hate. Yes. It got canceled. I, I Did it actually? It. Oh, yeah, finally. When? Just like last month. Oh. I mean, I'm sure they still have the reruns for that ignorant, voiced, idiot kid. Um, I really hate Caillou. I mean, I, I, with, with it, it makes me angry. Why? That, I don't like Dinosaur Train either. Uh, too full of itself. I loved Bob the Builder, the original version, not the newer versions and the jazzed up stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the original Thomas the Train with George Carlin was awesome. George Carlin voicing the uh, Mr. Topham Hat. Mm. That was really good. The Fat Conductor. Yes. Uh, Blues Clues with the original Steve, not the second guy that replaced him. I don't even know if you remember that one. I think I kind of do. Yeah, it went downhill after Steve left. And Steve left. I don't know why he left. Because the the actor who played Steve, I don't know. that He he, he had like a band or something. Huh. And he didn't feel fulfilled being Steve from Blue's Clues. The guy was a, was, was it could have been like the modern day Mr. Rogers. Could have been Steve for 50 years. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing now. In a band, I guess. I don't think so. <laughs> I think even even his, his band. Now, I don't know if it, 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 I may be making the band thing up in my mind or something. But anyway, if you want to talk about other children's shows, <laughs> I don't know. We're going on off a lot, a lot of tangents here. Back anyway. to Anuntabilia. What? That is the state of affairs that makes a sentence true. Um, I think I missed that. What page are you on? Anuntabilia three fifty seven. Anuntiabilia. I think you just made that up. No. Where is that? At the bottom. Anuntiabilia. It's italicized. Oh, with an E. Yeah. Anuntiabilia. I thought you were saying with an I. No. Enuntiabilia. There you go. Anuntiabile. Yeah, and so this is kind of another basically answer to the universal question. So they're not tangible entities and they're only grasped by reason. So it's really, you know, to make something true or false, we cannot actually, you know, set all of these principles, you know, actually out in the physical world. We cannot look at, you know, a perfect world where all of these state of affairs exist to make something true or false. It's only, you know, under the assumption that we have reached these state of affairs in our own sense of reason that we can make a statement true or false. Right. Yes. They're talking about, like, making inferences. Yes. Generalizations. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. All right. Basically. We'll make sure I understood what an intitability is. Yeah, that, that, that one. Yeah. And so and so they also say that sentences are tensed and can lose their truth value. So basically what you were saying earlier, so like a, I am sitting, well, that's true right now, um, you know, 
uh, in you know half hour when we're done recording um, that will no longer be true because I will no longer be sitting but it will always be true that I sat at this particular time right Aquinas on thought and language moving right along yes Aquinas so he made these distinctions between types of thought that I thought was really interesting really I didn't think it was interesting at all although I did underline some stuff yes I thought this was fascinating really the five what was it? Yes, the five exercises of intellectual powers. Yeah, I thought this was kind of interesting. Yes. And so he says... Can I name them? Go ahead. Doubt, opinion, understanding, knowledge, and faith. Now, can you define them? Well... I can define them. I cannot right define knowledge of my, them. My, my handy-dandy <laughs> notebook. I'll go ahead and define I them. will do it okay. right now. Uh, when you're withholding judgment... It's doubt. Yes. Because you haven't judged it true, you know, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Tentative assent, which means tentative agreement, is opinion. Allowing for the possibility of error. Unquestioning assent, truth based upon evidence, is understanding. And self-evidence is understanding. Well, whatever. And unquestioning assent on the basis of reason is knowledge. Yes. And... Uh, Blind following someone else's word, faith. That's not exactly. Oh, what oh, says. I'm sorry. He <laughs> said, uh, "Assent when there's no compelling reason is belief." Yes, and I don't know if I really agree with him, belief or faith, because well, I mean, if, if you if you emphasize compelling, yes, where it it, it, it isn't proven, you, you know, yeah, I that's guess what I think. If it's not, yeah, if it's not proven, but I mean, with the way it's worded right now, you know, I think that goes against you know many people's understanding of like faith um uh, in terms of religion because to people who are of the religious faiths there is a compelling reason there is you know a good reason to have that faith yeah it's not a proven reason 100 percent. yeah i think uh, that's why i think that's the important word as he defines it because compelling i think as he puts it in here is you have to believe in it yes And, and and compelling it we're using it for is just a really good reason or more of a motivation that compels you uh, almost instinctually, mm-hmm. you know, or, or viscerally or with your feeling to believe in something. That's how we, I was compelled to believe. I think that's yes. not as opposed to, there is no other logical thing to believe than the faith. Yes, that's true. Right. Because yes. that would be knowledge, right? Yes. As he defines it. Yes. All right. He also says that we can know what a word means without knowing its essence. So he kind of points to God, and we can know what is meant by the word God, but we do not know like all of the attributes of God. Right. Um, that's kind of one of the capabilities of reason, is that we can know of something without knowing um, that thing in its entirety. In its entirety, yes. You yes. can know the category without knowing all the details. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I know there is a periodic table, but there's no way I could remember all of those <laughs> yes. elements anymore. I think at one point I might have You knew all of the elements? Well, there are a lot less elements back when I was a kid. There's only like four of them. <laughs> well, there's, there's earth, earth, air, air water, water, fire. <laughs> Come on, man. My, my That's bad. a periodic table back in ancient Greece. My bad, Socrates. <laughs> <laughs> so Aquinas also says that even though every thought is... That's ex- a good philosophical history of philosophy joke right there. Yes, let's get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, Socrates' uh, t- uh, uh, periodic table. Yes, and it's the four of them. This is the four. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's that should be our like logo or our, our uh, something. We have to we have to market that. Okay, I can do that. I can yeah. make a new logo for the podcast. Yeah. It has to be like a like a gray or white white haired white bearded guy. Yes, yeah, with the Socrates and. And so uh, Aquinas also believed that Plato was misled by the idea that like can only be known by like. So he's kind of looking at Plato's theory of ideas. um, And Plato basically believed that there was some perfect idea of everything somewhere out there in the world. And that's how we only know about everything, because we can only know things through like things. And so Aquinas says that uh, universals do not exist outside intellect. So this is kind of his response to the... uh, to the universal question. He says that there's no uh, idea of humans, only people's ideas about humanity. So it's kind of that similar, you know, um, we draw resemblances, we draw similarities between the things that actually exist, and the universal is only a mental thing that we can think of, and it's not actually something that exists out there in the world. Right. Yes. I think that was uh, a real difficult problem that uh, Plato has in his theory, is that these universal things exist on some level. Yes. When when they really don't, it's just a concept. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and... I, I, w- I would think when I read him, 
And that's what he's meant. He meant that's not what he said. Yeah. He said that there are real universal things that exist and we just see kind of like pale reflections of them mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And yes. I, th- I think he was trying to articulate what what Thomas Aquinas is saying here. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe he actually believed that there was some perfect human being out there in the world that we all try to resemble. Well, maybe he uh, anticipated me. <laughs> that was really awful. <laughs> So Aquinas also says that there are two kinds of analogies. This is kind of like how we use words, basically. So if we say, you know, um, a dog is good and we say God is good, um, that's kind of an attribution analogy in that, you know, those are two different senses of the word good because God is not as good as a dog and a dog is not as good as uh, God. Um, He also says proportionality is another uh, type of analogy. So we say like the knife, uh, that is a good knife um, and that is a good ball. Um, but they would be good for different reasons. Like a good ball would be more spherical than the other balls, while a good knife would be sharper than other knives. Um, but a good ball is not sharper than other balls. Right. Yes. Yep. So analogy and univocity. Univocity? Univocity, maybe? I'd say univ- univocity. Univocity? Yeah, and uh, next year you're going to the univocity. Yes. <laughs> I don't know which one yet, but no, I'll no. be going to a univocity. Uh-oh. All right. Yes. Don't go to a college. No, I'll be going to a univocity. <laughs> And so this is still Aquinas. He says that the words we use to describe God and creatures are not the same sense. That's kind of what I was pointing to um, in that, you know, God and the dog are not, you know, the same level of good. So John Dunn Scotus thought differently. Um, he believed that basically some words have to be universal or basically they lose all meaning. We have to have some sort of semblance between the two. It's not a completely different word when we're referring to God and when we're referring to a dog. It's not a completely different definition. Because if all terms are different, we cannot draw any conclusions about God from properties of creatures. So, you know, if we use different senses of the words, we cannot look at God in anything that is on nature because, you know, he's different than nature and we can't use any of those like terms because they have to be different and so on and so forth. So he says, A concept is universal when it possesses sufficient unity in itself so that to affirm and deny it of one and the same thing would be a contradiction. It also has sufficient unity to serve as the middle term of a syllogism so that whenever two extremes are united by a middle term that is one in this way, may conclude to the union of the two extremes among themselves. So that's kind of um, a really complicated way of saying uh, God is either an infinite being or he's a finite being. Um, And in between those two, he is a being. And that's kind of the universal in there. So it's kind of that, you know, split between the two. Um, That is a universal word that we can use for God. Right. Okay. You don't seem to have many thoughts on that. No, I mean, a, a lot of this is just how concepts are stated yes uh, and it just it, it just reminds me of my my attitude towards the latter years of my philosophical inquiry in college is like oh god just shut up about it you know i mean it's like, it's like you, you know they're talking it to death yes but i'm sure ahead. modistic logic will be much yes more interesting. uh it's a little bit better yeah so modistic logic the other stuff yeah. is just like talking about what we're going to talk about mm-hmm. like thinking about thinking yes I mean, this is still more of that, but it's a little broader. A little bit better. And it says, instead of ins- studying individual terms, modistic logicians studied uh, grammatical categories. Right. So it's, you know, um, meaning was conferred in sounds by human conventions, and this is this idea of imposition. This is what they believe, that, um, you know, um, meaning isn't something that's, you know, comes from this perfect idea, this universal, but it just comes from our human convention, what we understand that word to be, and that's how we give something definition. And they use this term diction, which is the unit element of meaning. And so that's basically, we find our dictions for everything, um, basically through human convention, like I said before. Right. There's the essential mode. Uh, There's different types of modes um, for uh, units of speech. Uh, The essential mode uh, defines a word as a particular part of speech. So noun, verb, um, that sort of thing. And then accidental modes, case, number, tense, or mood. Um, So that's basically just how we, (laughs) you're making one of the worst faces I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, just losing interest in, I mean, a lot of this is just language. You know, That's why it's interesting. Just grammar. Yes. Okay, great. All right, let's move on. All right, Occam's I, meta I, language. This was fascinating. Really? Yes. I, I don't even know that I read all of this section <laughs> because I was just like, I was glazing over and I'm like, I'm reading words. Have you ever read something and you don't retain any of it? You know, like yeah. you're reading the words, but you're just not even getting it. I mean, it's not that I could probably understand it. But it was so, I don't know, usually I have, like, have little things I circle just as an outline if I have to discuss something of it. This one I outlined. You didn't like uh, Occam's Mental Language? No. This was so interesting. This is well, the then best explain part of the it, chapter. Well, then explain it to me because I didn't get it. So, 
basically, he believed that all humans shared this natural language, uh, kind of be equated to intellect or reason. And basically, when we think of something, we think of that thing wholly and completely in our minds, right? With spoken word, you know, we actually have to put things in order. We have to reason them out. But if I tell you, you know, picture a horse, you could think of all the qualities of a horse and you can picture that horse in your mind without having to string words together. And that's kind of this principle of mental. He calls this language mental. Um, which is this basically this perfect, you know, sense of the ideas um, that we have in regards to something. And basically language, um, you know, spoken language is how we translate mental, you know, into thoughts and ideas, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yes. Did it not make sense when you're reading it? Well, it, it took him like three pages to explain what you just said in one paragraph. Yeah, a little bit. But it's so interesting. I, I, I just love well, this. What's so interesting about that? I just love this idea that, you know humans have this shared language like and it's very true i would say oh yeah yeah because yeah. humans all have this you know kind of universal concept of a few things but it only exists in our head and it exists without spoken word right yes right i mean i would think well, it depends on your knowledge of things yes. you know like your experience with them but we but we know that something is good without having to define good whenever we're talking about something Oh, what do you mean by that? Like, like my example before, like that is a good knife, right? We know that that knife is oh. good because it is sharp and not because, you know, it's good like other things. And we have that understanding oh, sure. of good in that general sense. And that is through mental. Right. Yes. Well, good is a complex concept yes. and relative yes. to the situation and the person's opinion. But I understand. But we do saying. have this idea of good in our minds in relation to certain things that we don't have to articulate every time we're talking about good. Uh, go, go. What do you mean by that? Well, it's it, like exactly what I was saying, because I don't have to articulate that that knife is very sharp. I can just say that is a good knife. And we know that good. Well, I think that, I mean, I don't, maybe you don't have enough knowledge of knives. Because, oh, I'm just using that as a general example. Yeah, so we, yes. we should use a different thing because a, a knife, like a paring knife, is a, you could have a good paring knife, but it's not a good steak knife. Yes, yes. Am I overthinking this? I mean, yes. Right. I th- okay. Well, if I say that, that is a good steak knife, you know what I mean. Yes. yes. All right. That, extra, that extra single word in there. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't you think? Because yeah, it was so. too broad of a category for yes. me. Okay. Fair enough. I like knives. Yeah. For as much as you, you... I bought you a knife. You did? Yes. It's in my car. Oh, in your car? Yes. Why is it in your car? Well, I figured I'd need it. I'd be more likely to need it when I'm out in my car rather than when I'm sitting at home okay. in my room. Well, it's a very nice decorative It is a nice decorative right. knife. Right. Well, don't Do you get, not want don't to talk get, about... Don't get in trouble with your knife. I, I won't. Do you no. not want to talk about Occam's mental languages anymore? No, we can. I mean, I didn't know if there... Is there anything else that you want to add about it? I mean, not really. I mean, uh, I could go into more detail. He kind of adapts other ideas from other people. Um... But in what ways? Uh, well, he points to the two kinds of supposition, um, and so kind of, kind of, kind of spins. Oh my gosh! I I can't believe I didn't notice the, that he articulated two different types of suppositions. Yeah. Well, he he changes them because I feel all warm and fuzzy now inside. <laughs> I like Occam. Occam's pretty neat. Um, and so he says that simple supposition is that the the word stands for a mental entity. And so this differs from, you know, kind of the other sense of uh, simple supposition in that we are using that like kind of a universal thing, but it stands for our mental entity that we have created in our mind. Um, whereas personal supposition is the term that stands for what it signifies. That's something that like I can point to. All right. Anything else you want to talk about, Occam's? I guess not. All right, well, yes. you can. I mean, our listener. Oh, may be oh, I did want to, to mention that uh, in mental, he believed that there is no uh, synonymy, so there's no uh, two things that mean the same thing. Um, that's kind of another foundation of mental that I forgot to mention is that you know it's kind of this perfect language. Like there are multiple words, you know, in English that we have that mean the same thing essentially, but in mental, you know, without those like specific words, there's only you know one mental term for each thing basically. Right, okay. Yes. Yeah. That's an interesting I concept. That was interesting. Yeah. Yes. All right. Are Truth and inference in Occam. Oh, I thought we were done with Occam. Oh. You want more about Occam? Um There were rules that apply to inference, but there were six of those, and I don't think you want to hear me list all six of those. Well, I don't know if anybody wants to hear you list six. Fair enough. Walter Burley and John Wycliffe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You look like you're having a fun time. Yeah, this was my least favorite chapter so far oh this is very interesting to me so walter burley uh he believed that the the theory of consequence uh was really the most prominent thing uh, that we really have in that um 
basically when we're talking about language, we should be talking about the consequence of basically all of our sentences. And that's really what we're trying to get to with logic is what we actually mean in the end. What is the end goal um, within our sentences that we're trying to say? Also... I, I do like this this section. I don't know. Maybe you're going to get to this where he's critical of Occam's theory. Yes, that's what I was just about to say. I like this. I have a little green check mark next to this. Whether this common thing is something outside of the soul or, or is a concept of in the soul, I do not much mind at this point. I thought that was a, <laughs> that was a good quote to say, you know, I don't yes. really care. It doesn't matter. I think Stop talking about it. That's just about your opinion on these things. Right. Yes. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think it's an interesting area of study and that, but it's not, I mean, I think they're over, overthinking a lot of the. But I mean, he says that, but then he also kind of extends the theory of supposition to include more categories. So, you know, more uh, of that. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so Go ahead. Go John ahead. Wycliffe, um, he defended realism over nominalism. So we've seen, you know, basically throughout this whole chapter, this idea of nominalism, basically, and how we, you know, relate terms to certain objects. Um, that's basically how we come to understand things. But he said that the key to understanding universals is grasp of the nature of predication. So it's basically like we don't really care, you know, what each term means. We don't really care, you know, what, you know, the definition of this is in relation to this. We just have to grasp that overall knowledge of that specific, um, you know, adjective or noun yeah, in concept. order to understand it. Yes. That's right. And I think that's very, very true, yes. especially when, when so many words, especially in our language, have different meanings. Yes. You know, multiple different meanings, mm -hmm. depending on how you use it. Yes. So I think he's right. What yeah. do you think? I think he's right. I think it's also very coincidentally similar to Occam's mental in a way. Um, Occam is mental. <laughs> how, how is it similar? Because he's basically saying um, with Occam's mental, it is this uh, universal language of the grasp of the nature of things. Um, but John Wycliffe kind of says, well, we don't really have to have a word for that. Um, we have that grasp of um, True. the nature of things within right. our mind already. Fair enough. But. Occam just believed it was more of a universal language than right. just reason. So which way do you come down? I you, like Occam. You like Occam? Yes. You like the universal theoretical uh, impression language, I guess. Yes. Mental impression language of concepts, and then you articulate it. Yes. Huh. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just, yeah. It's interesting. He also, uh, Wycliffe, believed that anyone who believes in objective truth is already committed to belief in real universals. So if you're committed to finding the truth, you have to accept that there are some things that universal and there are some things that, you know, that we don't have to go into specific definitions for because they have already a set definition. They are universal for everybody. Right. Do you think that's true? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, well, if you're going to be articulating anything, you, you have, there has to be an understanding of a lot of the premises of life, yes. you know, and, and, and of language. And how you articulate it for you to get down to what's really an issue and what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of what he's talking about. Yes. And then uh, the last section here left me on a bit of a cliffhanger. So this is, I really wanted to know more about this. This is three valued logic at Louvain. Um, Talk about the neutral. Yes. The third value. Yes. Because right, I didn't yeah. really understand it fully and I wish he went into it a little bit more. There's only like four paragraphs here right. about it. Basically this dude, Peter de Rivo um, in... Um, Paris, uh, no, University of Louvain, sorry, it was in the title, but in France, uh, he believed that there was a third truth value. So we have true and we have false, and there's neutral in between. And so if you deny neutral, um, you basically believe in determinism. So this is kind of this answer to, you know, right. um, were the prophets telling the truth or not? Um, you know, is that predetermined to happen? It's basically kind of our discussion again right. on God, if he knows, you know, what happens to you. Um, do you actually have free will? Um, and he says, well, those, you know, uh, prophecies aren't true or false. They are neutral. Um, and even if they don't come true, it doesn't make them false. It just makes them neutral because the opposite of neutral is neutral, which I didn't really think was fully explained here. So I don't think I can oh, fully true. explain it myself. Right. But right. Um, basically he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter if it was true or false because it's kind of just in between true or false. Right. Kind of uh, that it didn't exist yet. Yes. And right. so it doesn't matter, you know, if they really predicted the future because we don't know if it's true or not. It's... Yeah, you know, the, the, the example they give is, is uh, I think the example they give was of uh, Peter denying Christ yes. three times mm -hmm. before the cock, cock crows. And, and that, that or, yeah, and that, that always troubled me a little bit mm -hmm. because, because 
God's telling him you're going to do it. Yeah. I don't know, I'm not. And then he does it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like... Well, it's basically, again, that argument of whether or not, you know, sinners are predestined to, to right. go to hell. Like, Did he have a choice? Mm-hmm. To, I, I think he did. Yeah. He had a neutral choice, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, he's kicking himself later, though, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. It was, was it more of a prediction? Or was it a knowledge? I don't know. I guess that's pretty specific. That's, it's pretty specific. So I guess it's knowledge. Yeah. And so uh, basically, the contra- like I said, the contradictory of neutral is not false, but neutral. And this kind of proposition uh, was sent to the Vatican. Uh, it was the, the theologians, uh, basically, who were kind of thinking of neutral. They sent this to the Vatican for a proposition about the future be t- to be true. It is not, not enough that... Excuse me, it is not enough that what it says should be the case. It must be unpreventably the case. It must say one of two things. Either there is no present and actual truth in the articles of faith about the future, or what they say is something not, that not even divine power can prevent. So see, they're basically saying, you know, if it's proven wrong in the future, um, then, then it doesn't mean anything. It's not a divine truth at all. But if it's proven right, then it's just something that nothing can prevent, and it's just a fact. So we kind of have to find a middle way there, because both of those are not things that we want in faith, and that is neutral. Um, can you guess what the church said about that proposition? They condemned it. They condemned it. <laughs> but it doesn't say anything about anybody dying. Nobody died. Uh, nobody yeah. died or went to prison or was sentenced to silence for yes. years. Unfortunately. I was a little disappointed that there weren't more condemnations and executions and yes. imprisonments. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure you'd have liked a lot of these uh, linguists, uh, linguists to be condemned. No, no. I, 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 and I shouldn't denigrate it so much. It's just, just not that interesting to yeah. me. I, I just feel like we're arguing about what we're going to argue about yeah. rather than to actually get to what it is that we, what we're interested yeah. in. It's fascinating con- to me. But... Concepts of ethics and God and, and all that. Uh, I want to major in linguistics in college, so I mean, that's... Kind of the, this is this that's is where I'm right. going to be in the future. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, just arguing about nouns and verbs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound too happy. But... Well, at least you got the piano, huh? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> going to. I can enjoy that. That's something that actually uh, bores me. I guess in the same way that piano. Uh, no, 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 no. But like when you go into like the really, really deep, you know, detail of you know like how notes interact oh, and, you know, yeah. the frequencies and stuff. So I guess that's kind of the same way that that sort of stuff is to you for language. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It's like you, you just want to play the song. Yeah. Right. I don't care about the theory and the, this is the wavelength or it's, whatever. It's nice to know if you like want to make up your own song and stuff, but at some point it gets to me unnecessary. But I mean, I guess if you're kind of like a, I guess it's to be a physicist that studies, you know, the wavelengths and stuff of frequencies and stuff. I guess. Yeah. Music theory and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the way I look at it, because yes. I'd rather just, let's play the song. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, you know, the issues as opposed to how we talk about the issues. Mm-hmm. But that is part of, of what the issues are, I guess. Yes. You have to first get the terms de- defined and mm-hmm. and uh, the system set up so we're all in agreement on what the heck we're talking about so that yes. we can actually discuss the issues. And I guess it was more of a problem when you're talking in Latin rather than English. Boy, it must have been really hard. And I, it makes more sense to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of Latin or retain it or whatever, but yeah, with the, with the way the language was set up at the time, it, it caused them a lot of problems. Yes. And, and the same thing we, we, as we discussed in previous episodes with regard to ancient Greece, mm-hmm. Greek. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll get some more meaty stuff that I like in later chapters. What is, what's what our, is our next, next chapter? chapter? I don't know. It's just about knowledge. Knowledge, yes. We'll knowledge. talk about what we can know before we can know it. Yes. <laughs> you sound happy about that. That's. No, we're moving in the right direction. Yes. First, we got to talk about words. Then we got to talk about knowledge. And then we actually talk about. Then we actually get some knowledge. All right. Right. Yes. All right. Well, this has been Unlimited Opinions. I'm Adam Bishop. I'm Mark Bishop. And you can follow us on Twitter at Unlimited Opinions. Capital U L M T D. Unlimited Opinions. Yeah. <laughs> capital U L M T D. Capital O Opinions. If you tweet at us, we will respond. I will respond. He doesn't have Twitter.
I'm a, yeah, I have it. Oh, I, yeah, you I, did. You did. I reactivated yes. it so that I could follow yes. the opinions. Old opinions, yeah. 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 So, so you have one so follower. So tweet at us. Yeah, tweet, yeah we have I'll one follower you. right I'll now. Tweet yeah, you'll tweet you. We can have a conversation over Twitter. <laughs> we'll, we'll both uh, uh, tweet back at you. Yes. The official tweet page and whatever my page is. Mark Bishop, probably. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Bishop right. Festus, probably. Bishop Festus, yeah. yes. Because Mark Bishop would, would have been taken. Yes. All right, well, that's it. Okay, signing off. Signing off, yeah. <laughs>